0: How long has it been since you had poutine? Well, maybe three weeks ago I had a version of poutine. Did, that didn't give you heartburn?
1: <clears throat> okay, everybody.
0: Entering the 1997-1998 NBA season, the Chicago Bulls had won five championships in the previous seven years. But as they sought their second three-peat, the future of the dynasty was in doubt. Not really. As preparations began for the 1997-98 season, Jordan and the Bulls granted unprecedented access to a film crew for the entire year. As Michael Jeffrey Jordan was preparing to conclude his time with the Bulls, Three friends in Toronto are about to graduate from university. This is their jibba jabba as they go through the ESPN Netflix docu-series, The Last Dance. Welcome to Jordan Ain't No Joke, Episode 5. I'm your host, Sami Yunan. As for today's introductions, since these episodes of A Jordan Ain't No Joke covers the end of the Bulls Dynasty and the end of The Last Dance, we'll focus on endings. Tupac died on September 13, 1996, while Biggie died on March 9, 1997. Which of these tragic endings hit you the hardest?
2: Hey everyone, I'm JT, and uh, I would have to say I, uh, I would go with Biggie. Like Biggie was the, uh, the greater loss uh, uh, for me uh, in terms of uh, his impact on uh, on hip-hop. Not to take new too much away from uh, Tupac, but I think Biggie... Uh, had a much greater impact.
1: Yo, I'm DC and I'll have to say the same. for me, Biggie had just more of a musical impact on me around that time. And um, always kind of been a little bit more east leaning.
2: Well yeah, we're all uh, east Coasters, so I think that was that would have been natural for us to <laughs> to get into that yeah. uh, beef and, and and side with the east.
0: <laughs> we, But we were also in Toronto then, so we didn't have, like, we weren't part of the East Coast, West Coast beef. Like, we saw it, but we could also just chill. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't have to get involved. We were chilling
2: with Maestro Fresh West. So it was all, yeah. it was all, oh, yeah, right. we yeah. were sliding yeah. our backbones.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but we still identify Eastward, right? Like, either culturally, being Chinese, uh, being more in the East Coast of things like you relate more to like a new york style of things as opposed to california and just being from scarborough yeah, too. i mean
2: california was you know kind of this fantasy land across the continent that you know we consume culture from but didn't really seem attainable in any way or or um you know something that we could uh, uh really you know get into the same way that we would with the east coast stuff Or identify with.
0: Yeah, well, the New York City stuff too was like tougher and rougher because I think they had the winters like we did, right? So you kind of are forced to like work indoors where I find like when you're like in LA or California, you start typing up that screenplay and you're like, it's kind of nice outside. Maybe i will just dip into the pool for a bit. (laughs) Oh yeah, so there's something to be said
2: about seasons, right? I think the the seasonal uh, time changes uh, have a really big impact on the way you think, and the person you become. Uh, I think. Whereas in California, it's kind of sunny more or less uh, throughout the year, and uh, you know those Canadian winters. You get inside, you become more con- con- contemplative, um, and it's uh, it's a different different thing.
1: Yeah, and that reflected in the NBA as well. The East uh, Eastern Conference is always like bang it, bruising defense, low low scoring. First West one co- the West 80s con- Western that's
0: right (laughs) first one to 80 in the east, first one to 120 in the west
1: (laughs) exactly yeah western conference run and gun fun and sun showtime that's right
0: so we'll keep going with uh showtime and uh pick up on uh episodes uh nine and ten of the last dance this is the end my friend uh so we'll start off with nine and as per our tradition who's got a title for episode nine
1: I mean, one of the titles that I kind of uh, that I came up with just, that just introduces this the whole episode is "Black is the New Black," because first, like Reggie learned as a rookie, not to mess with Black Jesus, yes. and then in the when they faced off with each other, you know, Black Cat was really introduced, and that that was that's interesting because it's not really a you know that's a, a nickname that's associated with Jordan, but people it doesn't stick with everybody mm-hmm. really
0: uh miller is trying to make it work though like he's like a kid with like a new pair like some slang or something like he's trying to make it work like hey, everybody let's use the word fresh like you know what i mean like let's refer to jordan right. as the black cat i'm mean, like i don't know we could just call him jordan or like air jordan or the other things like we're good <laughs> thanks man for coming out <laughs> what about you jake for episode nine did you have a title uh, i think it would uh, i'd have
2: to quote uh, mj and say uh, a great title would have been they still got to come through chicago Yes, because uh (laughs) you know that the end of episode eight uh introduced uh the pacers rivalry and uh we start with uh reggie miller in episode nine and uh that tough you know that tough battle that they they had and um there there was that one uh loss where uh reporters asked uh michael about you know his thoughts on on the next couple of games or whatever. And Michael's just unfazed, that killer look, that killer stare, just like still got to come through Chicago. I mean, I don't know how any of those guys, that kind of thing doesn't put the fear of God into any of those opponents. Um, uh, He was (laughs) just so single-minded. And he was a Terminator. We've said this before, but he was the Terminator. (laughs) Like just no emotion. He's like, yeah, come on through, man.
0: Hmm. do you miss those pacers teams like we talked about before how like uh the knicks had some really interesting teams and we kind of we hated the knicks but they had some decent teams um the bad boys obviously won two in a row but we never really ever talk about like the pacers they kind of seemed like they got left off of the conversation is that fair or do you guys miss the pacers or have a hankering or craving or care about the pacers well,
1: it's one of those things, just another team that was in Jordan's way and he had to just dash them out. <laughs> but if, when you go back and you think about it, it's like there's, there are incarnations, different kind of rosters that are, when you look back, you're like, oh, that, that was a pretty neat roster, mm-hmm. right? Back in the day when they had, um, oh, what's his name? Chuck, uh, they call him the Rifleman.
0: Oh, shoot. Um, I got a blank too. <laughs> okay. We'll call him the Rifleman.
1: Man. Okay, Chuck, I forgot what his name is, but shoot. But yeah, there was, there was that. I mean, Reggie was always uh, a mainstay, but you had Chuck and he had a quite, a, he always got fired up. He would get in hot streaks, mm-hmm. And then even just to this this team that they faced in 98, that was a really good team, right? You had Mark Jackson. You had the, uh, this, you had uh, Jalen Rose, Person. Chris Mullen, Chuck, per- thank you, Chuck Person. Um, yeah, Jalen Rose, uh, they had Chris Mullins. Like, it was a deadly team, actually.
2: Oh, for sure. And that hey, this goes back to uh, some of the other episodes, too, where they talked to uh, the, these other Bulls rivals. And um, I think a lot of them felt that uh, they had really great teams that just completely have been overshadowed by uh, Jordan and the Bulls. And, uh, you know, watching this series and looking back and seeing some of those familiar faces and it's like oh yeah man I forgot how good Stockton was <laughs> you know like <laughs> yes. Stockton and Malone too like that duo was uh they were amazing uh and mm-hmm. uh especially Stockton I'd I, I completely forgotten just how good he was uh, I don't think he ever won a championship but he was nope. uh no nope. he was solid man and especially in those series against the Bulls
1: well he's all-time assist that's league, right. so, yeah. and- it doesn't seem like, I think it's at, at a point where it's, he's hard to chase. Yeah. Just for that. And step. he's like
0: one of the top five or top 10 in terms of steals all time as well. you right. right. Like, so That's he right. was like, yeah, he, he's deceptively like, he, he looks like an ordinary white dude, right? <laughs> like somebody that shops at Costco.
1: <laughs> There's even f- footage of him. Like when he was going to the game that, he, that they were going to play, like he's got the minivan, the kids are coming out. <laughs> yeah.
2: He looks like a suburban <laughs> doctor. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And Sammy, you had mentioned that in the dream like in the Dream Team documentary, like when they were over over in Barcelona, yeah. everybody wanted everybody's autograph, but like Stockton's just walking <laughs> through just like another tourist. Yeah, because
0: the like magic would come out and all the people would be screaming Magic, Magic, and then of course Jordan would try to get out and it'd be all Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. Barkley would come out, it's Barkley, Barkley, and then Stockton would come out and everybody's I don't know who that is. So they just waiting for like Larry yeah. Bird or somebody to come out. And it was just like But he's also rocking the shorts, too. Like, he liked those shorts off the court. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) What about you, Sam? Do you have a title for this episode?
0: Yeah, I call this one Flu and Blue. Mm. Obviously, for the flu game, which they mentioned, but also because uh, blue, which is just kind of like the emotion, because it also focused on Steve Kerr's arc, which I don't think a lot of people know. Uh, mm-hmm. with his dad passing away and how his dad passed away and stuff like that. That was a really good question that the director asked, which was like, did you and Jordan ever talk about your dads? Cause both of your dads got shot. That was Kerr's tears. Now, you know what I mean? Like the last sure. couple of episodes when we saw Jordan talk about like winning and like needing a break and all that kind of stuff, this was Kerr's emotion and it was like, Oh man, that's heavy.
2: Yeah. I have to say like, I, I, I didn't know much about Kerr's uh, family history and Um, I wondered, you know, why this storyline became so prominent at such a late stage in the series. And, and, you know, upon first watch, I I felt like this kind of felt like it was coming out of nowhere. But then you see why the filmmakers did it, because it was really setting up the final episode and what a key role Kerr played in in leading up to the you know that you know the big win so uh, it just made the ending that much more emotional and fulfilling because he they'd set up Kerr uh and his backstory in such a beautiful way in a, in a touching way and then connected it to mj as well so i i just I, I thought it was fantastic and and just really heartbreaking
1: yeah that section was really well done like i think the way they went through all these, some of the other players, maybe besides Scotty, they just kind of like <laughs> kind of breezed through it. Not enough, like didn't sit on it enough to kind of really get a sense of their emotions. Uh, well, Scotty and Dennis, but um, yeah, that was I was tearing up mm-hmm. when I saw us Kerr talking about it.
0: Yeah, and Kerr's got such an unusual like background, not even just that his dad got shot over in Beirut. One of the themes throughout the whole, especially these last two, three episodes, was that. Kerr was just as aggressive and just as like, he played angry, angry, angry young man, just as much as Jordan did. He just didn't have the ability to translate it on the court. That, But that pushed him. That got Kerr the success. That's why he won the three championships with Jordan. then later on, he won the fourth one with San Antonio the next year. So he got a four-peat, which Jordan never got. But that was what drove Kerr. That's really special because you don't get a lot of players like that, especially players that are role players and things like that. So I found episodes 9 and 10, not maybe 10, but this episode, I found it a little bit slightly unbalanced. You know how before we were talking about the way that it was jumping around in the time time stream and stuff like this. So sometimes even we would get lost a little bit what what series this was or when what next battles this was. But I found this one that they spent a little bit too much time on like the actual in-game play. Do you know what I mean? I kind of wish that they mm-hmm. had, because there wasn't as much talking heads, and interviews and stuff in this one that balanced it out. Did you find the same thing or did you find the balance okay for episode nine?
1: In general, I, I thought this was one of the more better stacked episodes. They, they just gave a lot to you, but it did start off with, like the whole Pacer section was just a lot of in-game stuff yeah. and not not enough like behind the scenes or just besides interviewing Reggie Miller. Um, And, you know, Jordan kind of responding to it. Yeah, there was a lot of in-game playing. And the 97 uh, section with the Utah stuff, that kind of felt like it was just breezing through with game footage. Uh, And it was a weird, there was no real segue into the Utah game. They went from the Pacers series into 97 Utah. And then from the 97 Utah, they, they went over to Steve Kerr's story. So, yeah. Yeah, like it was top heavy in games.
2: Yeah, I think it, it almost feels like they may have run out of runway and they've needed to sort of wrap it up. Because I, I think the Jazz could have used a lot more sort of time, like you're saying, in terms of the storylines off the court um, leading up to the games, which they did with a lot of the other uh, big battles over the years that the. That the um, Bulls faced it just seemed to me that maybe they were just running out of time they had to quickly get to what was ultimately promised in episode one was the you know the big six uh, championship win but you know ultimately it it did have an emotionally satisfying you know conclusion so I I guess it might be a bit of a nitpick but um, but I can definitely see where where they may have uh, maybe run out of things to say uh, outside of the games.
0: So far, we've talked about Kerr and we've talked about Stockton. Do you guys have a favorite white NBA player? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Larry Bird is an obvious one, yeah, but we can put Larry okay. Bird aside. Yeah, I was going like, to say,
2: you'd have to put Larry Bird aside.
0: Because I, I don't mind Chris Mullen. Yeah, like,
1: and and McHale. Yeah, you got to put those guys Bear aside. McHale, yeah. Um, it's funny but then once you get past dudes like that then everybody else is sort of like they're a little comic relief <laughs> in a way Steve Nash right? well um, are we talking about in the past or just overall
0: I'll give you um, overall but mainly like an older player too though like if there's somebody like I mean we are kind of talking about the 90s but if there is like uh, in general yeah. if there is a great white hope out there
2: I think uh, Tony Kukoc was a big, great white home.
0: Yeah, for grouse,
1: Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's always there's always going to be dudes who are just excellent players. But if you, if you say your favorite player, I don't – it's hard to kind of say, like, you, you want to root for the underdog white dude because most of them are underdogs. Yeah. And it's, so it's kind of like, you know, I think of guys like – even Tom Chambers in a way. Yeah. Marley, you know Dan Marley. Was, yes, I think he's a guy who people don't talk about enough. Thunder Dan, because that guy—he was about six-six. He could defend, he could score, he could shoot the three, and he had a his game was tight. You know, like it wasn't like when you you would watch guys like Rex Chapman who had a decent game, but there's this, didn't have the same level as a Marley. But Marley never reached like that superstardom kind of a, a level. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody got, like, their favorite white dude? <laughs> what were you, Sam?
0: Thunder Dan is a good one. Yeah, I mean, I know we kind of took him off the list, but I always just was partial to Chris Mullen. I always thought he got a raw deal in uh, yeah. Golden State. It, he was, like, the Dominique of the West Coast, basically. Dominique Wilkins, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. they never really yeah. properly build around him. And even when he did get to the Pacers, he was kind of, like, he had a little bit less in the tank at that point, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, so well respected, but not much loved, no, or not loved enough.
0: It's funny, like, um, I know now, like, the last couple of years, Golden State's been in the finals and they've won a number of years, and Curry and all this stuff. People forget there were some dark days for Golden State back then for decades, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, everyone's celebrating now, but I'm like, yo, man, keep that past alive, yeah.
1: Like, I think prior to their first win. A few years back, it had been 40 years since they won a championship.
0: Yeah. Well, one team that finally got into the finals was the Utah Jazz. And then, of course, uh, this is the first time that they play the Bulls. We got to talk about the flu game or um, the food yes. poisoning game. Because so, this was the other highlight of, and this is why my episode is called Flu and Blue.
2: This was an insane. Story. I. I mean, I had no idea that this was actually the food poisoning game and not the flu game. Uh, I don't know if there were whispers about that before. Uh, yeah. Docs, but no. that is some like ancient Rome, like poisoned <laughs> the Caesar kind of shit, man. Like it was unbelievable. And the look on uh, uh, is it Tim Grover, his trainer's face yeah. when he's telling the story. He was like. He, he could. It was almost like he was back in that hotel room telling that story. Like, mm-hmm. He's like, why do you need five guys to deliver a pizza? He goes, nothing about it seemed right. And then Mike eats the whole pizza on his own. I mean, there's something there in terms of like, people like Michael Jordan had this sort of ability to sort of vacuum you into his world. And so I'm surprised that, no one uh, said anything to him, you know, now in hindsight, they all seem to say like, and none of that seemed right. But in the moment, I, I feel like maybe he was just too big a personality for them to say something to, to him about uh, how off this whole thing seemed.
1: Well, <laughs> well, you like you really think like the Mormon mafia like try to put a hit on Jordan? Yes. Like, <laughs> they sprinkled some like ghost peppers on that I shit. I don't know, man,
2: I think it's possible. I, I'm not one for uh, <laughs> uh, conspiracy theories, but uh, that none of that added up.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the director tells, like, uh, the more extended story okay. of the situation doing his media circuits, right? So, I mean, the whole idea behind the pizza was because uh, my, Jordan's crew, they all ate dinner without him, and so Jordan didn't have dinner that night, and so he was starving by the time like that whatever 1030 rolled around. And that the only place that was op- that was available to them was this Pizza Hut. Oh, this Pizza so Hut then, on
0: top of that. Ugh. It was Pizza <laughs> makes Hut. It yeah, he was worse. already doomed to start with. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it wasn't the uh, the uh, the mom and pop Mormon pizza shop down the corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, ended up being Pizza Hut. And um, so, yeah. And then when the, apparently once the pizza came, the only reason why Jordan was the only, only one who ate it was because he spat on the pizza. What? He was so pissed off that the other dudes ate before him. without him. There's like nobody else is eating this pizza. What?
2: <laughs> what? That is insane.
1: So Okay. Well So maybe 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 Mike got sick from
2: his own bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Or or <laughs> or his or his own hubris. Like it feels like he uh <laughs> he may have brought that on himself obviously it seems now.
0: Wait, so Danny, you just no. you don't think it like somebody poisoned? It? You think it was just maybe the pizza was not cooked, or was it the flu, or what do you what are you suggesting?
1: because okay, the story came, like the pizza guy came out and he told the story, his version well, of the did. story.
0: But then, yeah, but some of the yeah. stuff has been floating around for a while too, though, so it's okay. We can let it roll. I would just
2: tell it. Yeah, it, it, I, I'd love to hear it. Yeah.
0: No. So yeah, so where do, you, where do you stand then? Do you think it was food poison, or do you think that the cheese was not properly cooked, or?
1: Who knows, right? I mean, it could have been the thing he ate that afternoon, for all we know. But, you know, the pizza guy, he actually came out and told, like, do his media circuit. You know, I mean, well, the media has been curious, so they tracked him down. And he told the story that he was actually a Bulls fan. And when he was working at Pizza Hut, and they knew the call came in for the Marriott Hotel, which they knew, like, a lot of Bulls players were staying at. And he's like, oh, shoot. Like, maybe this could be for one of the bulls. No, none of you guys, none of you fuckers are making this because you're all rooting for Utah. I'm going to, like, make sure this pizza gets made right. So he said he made sure the pizza was cleanly done. And then he went with the delivery guy. And so he remembers there's only two of them at the door. Now, whether, like, other hotel staff were there with them to escort them to the door... You know, he doesn't remember that part, but he's uh, saying the pizza's clean, man. I didn't try to poison the dude. If anybody was
0: going to, po- wouldn't have been me. No, man, I don't believe him. hundred <laughs> percent. That pizza was poisoned. They put something on there. I think it was poisoned too. In fact, I, I think
2: uh, this September, there's going to be a new 10 part docuseries do- do- about the pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he delivers. <laughs>
2: each
1: episode's about each slice it's of that yes. pie.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Know. I think it. I think something was. I think it would be so random for him to get that sick unless something something happened. I just feel, it, but that's just me. You know, indulging myself in the conspiracy theory of, of it. I mean, it possibly very most likely was just a coincidence. uh The other thing to think about. Nope. The other thing to think about is that you know if Michael's. Like, I wonder what – I'm assuming his diet was pretty clean, especially during the playoffs. So if he had suddenly decided to just wolf down an entire pizza on his own, I imagine that could have messed him up too. Yeah. Also, did, did the, did the yeah, pizza guy possible. mention what, what was on the pizza? <laughs> just. Down here? He, he said it was a pepperoni pizza. Oh, okay. This is getting even weirder because yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty simple – A standard pizza, like if there's something fancy happening there,
1: no, but all it takes is like dude not washing his hands after whatever, wiping his nose, (laughs) and
2: you're done. But or his butt, most likely his butt in this (laughs) situation, yeah, man.
0: (laughs) I don't trust him, Um,
2: but at the end of the day, Michael did play, and uh, and that what ended up becoming a legendary game for the ages. So, what do you guys have to say about the game itself?
0: It's weird because there's two things. One is, yeah, Jordan, he just willed that victory. But then the other thing then is, like, Utah ended up losing that series. So it doesn't speak too highly of them. (laughs) Like, you couldn't even beat, like, a flu (laughs) Jordan. You know what I mean? Like, that was technically your one shot, your opportunity to, like, do it. And you couldn't even pull that out. So there's a commentary on the jazz as well that a lot of people don't kind of acknowledge.
2: I'll have to say it was weird. And I don't know if, if the jazz's coach was being facetious or not, but he, he, you know, he was being interviewed after the game and he's like, oh, I didn't know he was sick. But, am I the only one who didn't know he was sick? And uh, he just seemed completely unaware. And that too, I think maybe says something about, <laughs> about the team.
0: Yeah. So the coach was Jerry Sloan. He's the first Chicago Bull to get his number retired. And so he, the way he played is the way that Jordan played in the flu game. He didn't have a lot of talent, but he had all heart and all guts, and he was all elbows, and he kind of pushed and was like a bruiser, and he just kind of rumbled through things.
1: I'm sorry. He was like a seven-time, like, all-defensive team yeah. kind of dude. And he was like, he was Jordan's size, 6'6", Ooh. 195, but he averaged, like, high rebounds too.
0: And so that's the thing, like, I-, I wish they I wish people asked him about that or like drew that analogy like after that game because I felt that that was like very similar to his game, and like I think he was just shocked again, like that's why I was saying like the the one of the sub narratives was like the jazz suck because I'm like if you can't beat Jordan with the flu or food poisoning, I'm gonna go with food poisoning, then it's like you guys need to like have a heart to heart like you guys need to have a team meeting and sort this out
1: yeah, I think you also get the sense that Jerry Sloan had a bit of a dry wit. As well, because then in the following year, he there was a similar kind of press conference where he said some funny stuff that wouldn't get into. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: Um, I I do feel like uh, watching him, watching Michael play in that game. One of the things that really struck me and they've done this before is the strategy involved in having him play that sick. The whole idea for him was like, just use me as a decoy and they did that before in, in other mm-hmm. series as well or after and it's just a another great insight into sort of what goes into playing the game itself there's a lot it is of, a chess match it is a exactly there's a lot of uh strategy and thought that goes into this stuff that you know we may see sort of you know practices where they're shooting jump shots and and practicing running up and down the court but you rarely get an insight into the mental part of it and the the stuff you gotta you know the, the basketball smarts part of it
1: yeah that flu game jordan had 38 points seven boards five assists three steals and That's one crazy. block <laughs> so
0: jerry was right like was he sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true it's a, it's a valid it, it question really is. Like,
2: i mean i think it might be valid that he did not know because if he's you know if they're in deep prep mode for the for this game he may not be paying attention to what's going on in the press and then you know jordan plays the way he does so why would he think (laughs) that he was sick
1: you know what's kind of weird like a kind of off note that team uh that bulls team one of the members was bison daily you remember bison daily
0: no i don't remember i'm drawing a blank tell me
1: Bison Daily. He was um, so he was a player who came in, and he wasn't named Bison Daily when he came in. His name was something Williams. I'm just drawing a blank right now. And it um, sounds like
0: Meta World Peace when he came in as our Test.
1: Yeah, but he ended up having a fairly troubled life uh, later on, and then there was this whole mystery about his. He he disappeared basically. Oh yeah. And, all they knew was that him and his brother, and I think a female companion went off in a boat.
2: Red and... Red sea, right?
1: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, and it was only, I think the brother who came back, Oof. but yeah, I forgot how that went. He, well, he, that's he, another he documentary right there. It.
2: And he was,
0: well,
1: part, yeah, he was part yeah, of that Bull's sure. team. He was part oh. of that Bull's team. It was a really short stay, mm-hmm. but uh,
0: yeah, that is crazy. No. How does how does um Jordan's flu game and that will and that domination? How do we compare that to some of the, like Pippin's ailments throughout the series, the migraines, the bad back, those kind of issues? I know Pippin did like the best that he could, and in a way, Pippin resep- like represents us how we normally would play <laughs> or call in sick at work or whatever it is. Like I, I'm not feeling it today. I'm out. Whereas Jordan's like, yo, we're doing this. So how do you compare those two or can you compare the two? I mean, I
2: think what it comes down to that is, that is literally the thing that sets Jordan apart. You know, that 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 is that final piece that sets greatness apart from, you know, the average or even the exceptional. For Jordan to suck it up and play through the the worst of it, when sometimes Scotty didn't. And you know, mind you now, okay, when Scotty messed up his back, that's a purely mechanical thing. Like, your body mechanics, like, you, you may not be able to physically do something. That's one thing. But then, you know, there, as we know, in, in earlier seasons where he basically decided he was not going to play because the ball was going to come to him, I mean, that, that shows, you know, the lack of um, leadership that I think Jordan, you know, had in spades.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely... It's kind of a bit of bad luck for Scotty um, like Jake was mentioning different ailments right all the times that Scotty kind of couldn't do it he had the migraine like literally he feels like he can't see and he, he feels like throwing up all the time if you feel like you can't see then you can't really get out there <laughs> the back I mean we have to give Scotty credit for the for when he had back spasms in 98 like he he gutted it out. Mm-hmm. He would go to the go into the locker room, try to get it fixed, and then he came back out and became the decoy. So, but I mean, I mean that that does make that does separate Jordan like what Jake says. It separates him from most any other superstar out there. Just the will is so strong, and it kind of brings me back to when they were uh, in the Pacers uh, section. It was like right before Game Seven, he's sitting there in the the locker room. He's just chilling with a mod and just quiet amongst everybody. And a mod just, just kind of out of nowhere says, Some can, and some can't. Yes. And Jordan's like, Some can, and some yep. can't. It's just the way it is.
0: But finish the line after that. He's like, Don't tell Scotty Burrell that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember? He's like, yep. We already yep. know that he can't. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Or Scotty Burrell. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> even worse than Scotty Burrell is Byron Russell. We, we, got, <laughs> we got to talk about Byron Russell. <laughs> because that dude, he set himself up for failure.
1: <laughs> yep. Marked for death at rookie season.
0: Yeah. Like, why don't you have the will to live? Like, he just basically committed suicide.
1: Yep. And that that was one of the other titles that I came up with for this episode was... Byron Russell makes the list.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> as, as the, well, as, as, as the uh, episode recalls, uh, that's when Jordan was retired at the time. He's just coming in to kind of practice and hang out with the Bulls. And the Bulls are just about to face Utah. And so he just went to say hello to Carl to, uh, to, uh, Malone and stalked Stockton. And Byron had to open his big mouth. What
2: did he say? he said uh why something about why did you retire uh i i, I wanted to gu- i wanted to guard you or something like that like he mm-hmm. was like
0: yep i wanted to shut you down basically was what yeah, he was yeah. saying like like i i wanted the chance to show you how good i am is what he's basically saying right he was trash talking jordan which a you never do and then b he also probably got a little cocky cuz jordan was retired at that time yeah, so he thought he got, he got a little soft or maybe the body wasn't fit so he yeah he got double cocky oh he ain't he, coming back yeah
2: exactly yeah
0: so but yeah you knew too like I wish they had a shot of like Carl Malone and uh, Stockton afterwards when like after that moment happened and just the way that they kind of like yelled at Byron no. Russell because it was like remember that when they were playing the uh, Orlando Magic and then Nick Anderson said something like 45 or 20 yeah 45 and 23 and then Horace That's Grant's right. like no man shut <laughs> <Stop>. your mouth <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. well another but another great example of that is of um you know of, of uh, other players knowing and truly understanding what michael jordan is is when uh larry bird mm-hmm. had that stoic look on his face <laughs> yeah. and the entire great. stadium yep. is just erupting and he's like oh no yeah <laughs> guys you guys need to chill uh, and that is actually one other thing that i wish they'd spent a little more time on is just this idea of jordan playing against bird as a coach because you know mm-hmm. they had such great you know interesting history and uh the the there's a little bit of it we're at the end of the the series um larry comes by and congratulates michael and michael talks still is still talking shit to him yes <laughs> and you know is that a fuck Is you, that? bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For making, After he lost making the series.
1: Me, yeah. Yeah. So for making me work for so hard. For making
2: me work so hard, and uh, but it just goes to show, like you know, that sort of generational difference, right? Because like you know, he came, I paid his respects, uh, and you know, and took it on the chin <laughs> like a man. Mm-hmm.
1: And to be fair, they're, bu- they're buddies, they right? Are, so for they, sure. they knock smack to each other Of course.
2: I mean, that, that, I mean, that's clear. Like when, when Michael says, uh, says that, you can totally tell that's coming from a place of, uh, you know, love almost, right? And respect. I mean, I, there's no doubting how much Jordan respects uh, Bird.
0: Yeah. I think too, because Bird also, like, he had that face because Bird was also known to, for doing stuff like that as well, for getting those last minute shots or a steal or something. To swing the game, so Bird was also one of those guys. That until the clock said zero zero zero, <laughs> it's not over. Like it doesn't matter what the score is, Bird will find a way. Yeah, like
1: and, and a real like uh, well known story about Bird was when they were doing it was All Star Weekend. Bird's part of the three point shooting contest. Walks into the locker room is like, all right, which one of you is coming second? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Like, same mentality, right? Those guys are cut from the same oh, cloth. Oh, yeah.
2: Bird was, like, a serious, like, trash hogger too, right? Like, he he could uh, mix it up with the best of them. And, uh, you know, that that's another great 30 for 30, right? They did a Larry Bird one uh, quite a few years back now.
0: Oh, the Magic one? Magic and Bird one?
2: Yeah, the Magic and Bird one, yeah, which is really solid as well. Mm-hmm. The other thing about this episode uh, is uh, the it kind of closes uh, up the theme throughout of fathers and sons. Um, you know, we we get to see, learn more about obviously Steve Steve Kerr's uh, connection uh, to his father and and, and Jordan and, and Michael Jordan's situation with his father father, but also uh, Jordan's security uh, guys. You know, it was interesting that Michael had surrounded himself with an entourage that were older than him, were just like sort of old guys who he felt he could learn from and who he felt could keep them kind of on the straight and narrow,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is, you know, that's no small thing, right? Because when you're catapulted into the stratosphere like that, it's very easy to be, to have an entourage filled with like your, you know, dramas and turtles and, you know, just <laughs> your, your, high your high school buddies. buddies yes. You know, exactly. Right. Like, you, you know, little Tony from back in the day, like, you know, those guys often end up becoming your entourage. And Michael did the exact opposite. And um, I think there's a lesson in there. And also, I think that they probably didn't play a, a small part in, in, in his uh, crafting his career and his, and his uh, image because uh, uh, he, he used uh, men with experience and, you know, other more father figures to help guide him through uh, through his career, which
0: was fascinating to me. I think part of that, too, those men were settled. I think when you have like young people, like when a lot of NBA players come in and they have the guys from the neighborhood, they want things. They want the car. They want the jewelry. And like they're 20 or they're all 20, 25 years old. The black security guard, Gus, he was a police officer for a number of years. So he worked like a regular job. So he had money and stuff like that. He had the wife. He already had kids like all that stuff was already set up he wasn't using Jordan as a meal ticket. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah.
2: And that, I think certainly gave uh, MJ like clarity on who was uh, in it for the right reasons. Right. Um, Like you said, these guys were established men and family men for, for what it seems like anyways, for the most part. So definitely.
1: And most people, they yeah, like you were saying, Sam, they run into the money and they're like, they seek foolishness and Jordan was seeking wisdom (laughs) And that speaks like volumes into the difference between true alphas, true leaders versus just players. Mm -hmm.
0: There's a Seinfeld kind of thing. Like Seinfeld never really seemed like he, he cared all that much about the money. Like he was kind of just doing this comedy thing and like, he will negotiate to the last dollar and the last penny and get every single dime. And Jordan did the same thing. Jordan's obviously quite wealthy, but once that negotiation is done, he doesn't care. Like, he, it's just he'll go out and play the game. And Seinfeld, the same thing. Like, he'll just go out and knock out the dude like, what's the deal with toilet paper? And then it goes on. They understand their market value, but they also understand that they have to deliver at the same time. And once they've delivered, then it's the natural reward for what they've done.
2: Well, ultimately, I think what they were doing, guys like Seinfeld and, and Michael Jordan, is they were you know negotiating their freedom. You know, they're negotiating their ability to do exactly the one thing that they want to do, which was play basketball unencumbered or do comedy um, without having to think about anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times, you know, if you're in a situation where like, you know, the money is really tied to your self-worth and your ability to do your craft, the craft often suffers and uh that wasn't the case uh with these two guys right and again these are maybe the last of a generation right these are both guys who sort of you know flourished in the 90s and i don't know that this uh they
0: make make uh, guys like that anymore you know they may don't they don't make celebrities like they used to
2: they do not (laughs) they do not
1: Are you saying Seinfeld's the Michael Jordan of comedians?
2: No, no, I'm not trying to say, I'm not making that direct comparison in in those (laughs) terms. I'm just saying they, there's, they have a similarity in that. I'm not saying that he's the Michael Jordan of comedy necessarily, maybe in terms of those business dealings potentially, but in terms of the money and how it played into their craft. um, I don't think, uh, I think there's a fair comparison in terms of how they see money. Like, you know, Seinfeld doesn't flaunt his cash or it's not really about that. He still does uh, regular gigs just to do the work. Um, and it's not about, you know, hitting the road. Cause he still needs to pay off his jet or whatever. Right on. But you know, what if he was the Jordan of comedy, <laughs> would that be so bad? <laughs>
1: I would say he isn't.
2: Not <laughs> he's, not. <laughs> he's, not. He's, not. he's not,
0: he's not. So wait, before we go into episode 10, then who is the Jordan of comedy? Dave Chappelle.
2: Chappelle. I think Chappelle. I think it would have to be 100%, Chappelle. Yeah, I think so. Do you, do you give up how much? 50, 50 million?
0: Yeah. Million.
2: Because
1: he didn't want to like sell his soul? Because he just wanted to do his it, craft. Yeah. Yeah, he just wanted to be himself. And they're offering him a lot of money not to be himself.
2: Yeah, I think I think if we had to make that comparison, Denny, I think Chappelle would be the Jordan for sure that that I think is a hands down 100% for me, uh, a little bit of a tangent, just watch his last two specials on um, Netflix. And uh, if that doesn't tell you um, that he's the GOAT uh, of comedy, then I don't know what would.
0: You're talking Bird Revelation?
2: Bird Revelation and um, what was the other one called?
0: I can't remember now,
2: um, but actually. Oh, the
0: Equanimity? I can't pronounce e- the e- word.
2: Equanimity and something. It's like, yeah, it was a long title. Yeah. But uh, and there's actually a third recommendation. Again, it's, um, so he was awarded the Mark Twain Prize for comedy. The speech, uh, right? The speech was amazing. Uh, but Netflix released a sort of a behind the scenes, like the full length uh, a show with behind the scenes uh, of um, his day, in Washington uh, when he was there to receive the award and he went to a club gig and did a set in a club in one of those small clubs. And it was a fantastic set where he talks about, you know, comedy and the, the craftsmanship of comedy and the art form. And he's, it's actually pretty profound, but of course he makes it funny. So anyways, this mm-hmm. is a big tangent, but I, I would recommend all of those uh, if you want to, learn about why he's the goat of comedy anyway so that's uh that's episode nine
0: (laughs) well we we can transition from the goat of comedy to episode 10 which is the goat of wrestling with rodzilla that's (laughs) that's my title for this episode rodzilla
2: (laughs) rodzilla (laughs) yeah uh, mine, uh, I didn't take a, a very comic approach to this episode. This uh, was the final episode. Uh, to me, it was uh, uh, Mike the Mystic. It was one of the titles I thought of. And then uh, I think the last one is just simply The Last Dance because um, it, it was ultimately The Last Dance. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, w- one of the titles that immediately jumped out to me was like from the first scene. It's the Michael Jordan workout plan. <laughs> Got up, stretched had a couple of beers and one cigar
0: <laughs> and then play the piano to warm up
2: and then play the piano again. that's right
1: <laughs> that's true like goat man if you can bypass everything else and still kill it
0: yeah that footage is so weird because he's so loose before the game and that game was so tight i honestly watching that game i thought like especially as the series went along, I really thought Chicago was going to lose that series. That They really seemed on the edge of actually losing that one. That was the first one where I started to doubt that they would not make it.
1: Hmm. You're talking about game, because seeing the results of game one? Yeah,
0: because well, he, he or... was going into it very, like, loose, right? And, like, when you see it, you're like, because we've mentioned this before, how, like, Throughout the series and throughout Jordan's career, it always feels like the Eastern Conference battles were the big things—getting past the Pacers, getting past the Pistons, mm-hmm. getting past the Knicks—and then it's like, oh, it's just the Sonics. Oh, it's just the Trailblazers. Here you go, <laughs> the glove gave me mm-hmm. no problems. Right? <laughs> like it's those kind of stories. I and mean, then, but this time, the second time around, I think it was uh, Aldridge. He, Dave Aldridge, he was saying how like the second Jazz team was much better mentally, physically. They were much better. And they seemed like it. Like, when you start watching those games, some of those games have started being rerun now. Uh, Like, I've saw, i been watching, I watched the first three games. The Jazz are good, and it's like, when you're watching it live at the time, you're like, I'm not 100% sure the Bulls can pull this one out.
1: Well, well, they didn't look that good in game three.
0: Yeah, so that's true. That's valid.
1: Yeah. But yeah, they were like kind of Eastern conference style games they're like nothing yeah that's
0: that's a good over put 100 yeah.
1: right and it was just always like besides actually game three they, they were really close games
0: 54 points for game three that's right that's a,
1: <laughs> and that's the other instance where sorry no but i am
0: just gonna like i remember that when he said that but I, it, it's just one of those things your brain can't process it you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like 54 points for the whole game like 12 to 15 guys
1: 42 point a forty-two point beating, yeah. and that was another instance where we see Jerry Sloan, and we get a, a little more of that dry wit right. in that press conference, where he's like, this "Is this really the score?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to say, "Is this just a halftime
0: score?" Yes. <laughs> is this mic on?
1: <laughs> Try the veal. But yeah, and that and that goes back to like a lot of it goes back to you know Sam, you're talking about how. How kind of loose Jordan was going into into the, that series yeah. especially just having that battle for the pacers and then that that was really nicely kind of connected with you know the idea of Jordan being such a in, a, in his own right like a, a, a zen master himself kind of uh, just knows how to be present and what Jake alluded to in his uh, title.
2: Yeah I mean I think He was uh, completely uh, present. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where like, when you're in such a high pressure situation, if you've done the work and you've done the prep, the best thing you can do going into battle is to be completely relaxed. And I think Jordan was just so well honed in terms of his mental game and his physical game that the only thing left to do was just relax. And I think that's part of why, why maybe he, he started that way. And, uh, you know, it was, um, it was something near the end where he talks about, uh, you know, the craftsmanship of, of the game and, and how, like, at the end, he, he, he realizes that you have to use your mind and your body. You know, when you're young, you've got energy and, um, you know, you use that to propel you forward. But as you get older, you, you've played for a while, the mind becomes equally important, if not more important. And at that stage in, in his career, at that moment, um, he had managed to sort of bring those two together and um, and find that Zen place that, that you know, we're, we've been talking about. Maybe with the help of um, Phil Jackson, uh, he was able to sort of be completely present and in the moment.
1: Well, yeah, and there was a
2: great quote in that section where the...
1: Um... I think his name is Mark Vansel, who was doing it. Who was talking about Jordan being that
0: type of
2: guy? yeah, Vansel, yeah. yeah. And
1: and one of one of the things Jordan would always say would be like, "Why would I worry about a shot I haven't taken yet?"
2: Yeah, that was a fantastic quote. That's one of those things that I should uh, post up on my mirror probably, <laughs> uh, uh, because it is uh, it's it's indicative of just the mindset uh, that he had.
0: There was also that one scene, like. I think it was game two of the finals, the last finals with the Utah Jazz. It's close to the end of the game, and Phil Jackson just ripping the team. And he's like, you basically, he's saying, you guys suck. You're not doing well, whatever. Like, um, we're going to lose this game. And Jordan keeps saying, let's stay optimistic. Let's stay positive. Let's get this done. And I think this is one of the things we don't talk a lot about with, like, especially major athletes like a Tom Brady or Jordan. They're optimistic people by nature. Right. Because you have to be. You're starting basketball from like grade seven and eight, trying to get into high school, trying to get in Division one, NCAA, trying to play well during March Madness, trying to get drafted high in the NBA. Like you have all these obstacles and things that you're trying to overcome and get to. And you finally get the NBA and you get picked as a lottery pick. So you now have to build up this team, as we saw with Jordan in this whole series. And you have to stay optimistic the entire time. You have to stay hungry and that was i think jordan to connect back to like the stay present was that jordan was able to stay present but also stay optimistic in the present moment and that's a huge thing that we kind of overlook
2: oh, for sure he was uh, you you it's impossible to be a leader in any aspect of life without exuding some sort of positive mindset people don't want to follow someone who is going to curl up in a ball and you know run with the tail between their legs and you just even if you don't personally feel it or if you have some doubts or whatever it's not something you can project uh, to others that you're leading because uh then there's no hope and you know the the you know the, the series talked about hope quite a bit um especially when it came to jordan's early years right i mean i think he kind of one of the things he says in, in the wrap-up is is that you know hope uh, was was part of what started all this uh, for him
0: he repeated it too he said it started with hope and then he paused and he said it again so you understood like it started yeah. with hope like he that's the one of a few times jordan repeated himself for all the stuff he said in this documentary i know maybe that might be editing but he he said that twice because he wanted to make sure that you understood like he never gave up hope no matter how many times People said he was just a scoring guy. He was like he couldn't get it done. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do that. It started with hope.
2: Definitely. That's why he's the goat. For sure, and the one of the speaking of uh, GOAT, uh, the goat, the one great line uh, at the end uh, was uh, when he's celebrating. He's like, "They can't win till we quit." <laughs> yes. That which would have been a great title as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And that goes to the, you know, idea of being a positive person and a leader is, you know, understanding that, like, look, the only person that's going to beat us is is ourselves. So we just got to just, you know, get out there and and go for it. And I mean, all that being said, he's still pretty sore that there was no game, you know, no going for the seventh championship. Yeah. Which I think he he truly believed that he could have won it. Speaking
1: of going for it, uh, Rodman kind of went for it, but didn't tell anybody <laughs> after Game Three.
2: <laughs> wow, you know it was amazing to see uh, Coach Jackson just completely dress him down in that practice when he when he came back. Did you guys catch that? When he, the camera was kind of far away, but he basically says to they me, were all in the huddle. Yeah, they're in the huddle, and he said, "You you've embarrassed us. You've uh, you've uh, what was the." Can't remember the exact phrasing, but you've 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 brought disrespect to our name or something mm-hmm. like that. Like
0: that was pretty yeah. rough.
2: Yeah. No, that I, that was sarcasm though. You you read that as
1: sarcasm? I I, I read
0: that as sarcasm too. Yeah, yeah? okay.
1: Yeah. Be- because it's it started off with like um, he addressed one of the oh, that's players, right. his name was Dickie that's right. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you weren't here, right? We all like he basically said we all patted him in the butt and because he brought so much dishonor and <laughs> right. whatever he said. And but then (laughs) that's when and then Jordan chimes in, but uh, that was a good like amount of money or something like that. That That's a good amount of coin. And he's like Rodzilla, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which is Sammy's title, right? Because that's a
0: great name though for wrestler Rodzilla. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm like, why didn't he keep that after he like retired or like moved on from basketball? He should (laughs) have kept rolling with that.
1: And I know there was no place to fit it in, in in this documentary, but like. It was, I think, it was shortly after that summer, he went back, and then he fought Carl Malone in the ring.
0: Oh,
2: that's oh, right, Carl yes. right. Malone ended up in the uh, WWF as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So.
0: But his name wasn't as cool as Rodzilla, though.
2: Yeah. I wonder if
1: he came, did. He come out as the male. He name? must have. <laughs> <it>. He must <laughs> tell. Got the uniform and the sash. They alone.
0: didn't have that. Um, what game was it? It was the first time that the, the Jazz played um, the Bulls. And Pippen shut down Malone, or he blocked a shot, or something. And he said, "Mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays."
2: That's right. Remember
0: that line? I can't remember, <laughs> yeah, what, this, I remember yeah. what the shot was, or what. Like, yeah, he shot Pippen did something. And I was like, but it's funny because we talk about Jordan all the time. You could say that the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays, and then Karl Malone can't like go back and re- revenge. He doesn't. He doesn't sharpen the knife like Jordan. But if you said <laughs> forty-five ain't twenty twenty-three, I'm like, oh, you just signed your death warrant.
1: Do we remember if that was? Um... The 98 season or the previous I, season? I
0: thought it was the previous season, the first time they played right. the Jazz. Um, right. Because, I mean, Pippen was joking, right? Like, obviously, so I think he was a lot healthier. Yeah. But I remember that. It was a great line from Pippen. He usually doesn't chip in those ones.
1: <laughs> but I think uh Karma won MVP that year. Yeah, yeah which is right. why Jordan got angry. So that right. could have... That's why he's angry, yeah. Right. So I guess that was the revenge, but...
0: Jordan kind of took the Zen Buddhism stuff to be present and stuff like that. But anything else, like letting stuff go or anything like that, (laughs) he held on to everything. So it's a very weird cherry picking. Like I wish they had a little bit more conversation with Phil Jackson about some of the Zen stuff or the Buddhism stuff or the native Indian stuff or any, because Phil Jackson kind of gave him a mishmash of stuff from like Christianity, from Zen Buddhism to native Indian, like
1: literature movies. Yeah.
0: So it's this weird hodgepodge of, I don't know, spirituality, or I don't even know what to call it. Wisdom, just man. Wisdom. Just wisdom. And that's, I think where if Phil Jackson had a longer interview and it clearly was, he only had the one interview. Yeah. Phil's only wearing the one shirt through the whole thing.
2: Well, yeah. The director, Jason Hare did, mentioned that uh, he literally only had uh, jackson for one sit down um he showed up at uh, his ranch in the middle of nowhere and i think montana yeah and uh they'd done all this like you know organizing with his with jackson's people saying okay well you know we're this is the day you're gonna come and you're gonna get the interview and he shows up and jackson opens the door and just looks at him and says, and says who are you and like you know, Jason Hare's like face just falls. He's like, Oh my God, he doesn't even know that I'm supposed to be here. And then finally his uh, wife or his daughter, Jackson's wife or daughter comes through and says, Oh no, yeah, these guys are here for for the interview. And so you had to sit down for maybe three hours, which is not a lot. And uh, which, you know, for someone like Jackson to sit for three hours, is, it was very uncomfortable because, you know, he's got, you know, back issues and like, you know, leg issues are bad and stuff. So, you didn't maybe have as much time as as they would have hoped, but um yeah, I think you're right. It would have been great to have a little more of insight into into his philosophy. Yeah.
0: I was gonna say they had that great moment where um I can't remember which Utah jazz game it was, but Phil Jackson's like, play together, you guys are it's you guys to everybody, you guys are gonna be like um sheep against the wolves and don't forget to remember your breathing. Like it's a weird that was you know what i mean like in terms of so the beginning like, of game, game one game one yeah and it's just like no no coach has like remember you're breathing or like stay centered or stay focused like you know what i mean it's like you better rebound or else we lose the game
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude would have you know yoga sessions
2: burning the incense and sage mm-hmm. and and of course that amazing moment at the end of the documentary which uh, i don't know if we want to get to yet but it, it uh he is a true original i think that was the amazing thing that I think MJ mentions at one point is that you know the genius of Phil Jackson was his ability to bring all these different people uh, together uh, in, for one mission, um, and that takes a particular skill that not many people have. and And it, it wasn't a fluke, right? Like, because he did it again with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me speaks to the true genius of the man.
0: It's buy-in buy-in yeah we touched upon this with like jordan like you know jordan you got to pass the Paxson or pass the kerr or whatever maybe it's like all right fine i'll do it and that was already pretty much like a hurdle right there but then you had to get buy-in to do the the triangle buy into the the zen like, i think even in this uh, in episode 10 jordan refers to his zen buddhism shit like you know what i mean like yeah yeah when he's the, at the piano yeah yeah he's like he's not even fully bought into it but it's enough that, that he's like eh, it's all right this buddha guy's all right like you know what i mean yeah, like
2: I, for for michael it, it was just a tool right it was a tool to use for his craft and mm-hmm. it, so i don't i doubt that he still uses that because he doesn't play the, the game anymore but uh he saw the value in it at the time to help him you know reach his, his goals well, well jordan's really a
1: Taoist, so that's the thing and so in Taoism. You don't need labels. You don't need names. Like the true, a uh, true force doesn't have a name or anything like that. But I mean, going back to your point about how he was Jackson was able to manage all these different personalities, and it was indicated throughout the documentary how, you know, Rodman had certain exceptions to the rules, but you needed to give him that in order to get the best out of him during a game.
2: Yeah,
1: and so even letting him go to well not that they let him go <laughs> wrestle but sure he got you know the, the the typical fine from the from the uh the organization but nobody was mad at him even when the media asked jackson like oh you know is this uh causing any distractions for you guys with the way dennis acted because he, he just went to the he said to the reporter no it's distracting you guys yeah. not us yeah and to, right, and then what happened? No, no, Sorry. go ahead.
2: Finish that. Go ahead.
1: Well, and then what happens in Game Four? Rodman has fourteen rebounds. Yeah, so he, he did his job.
2: A, he's a total enigma. Like it just, I, and I don't think Phil Jackson would have tolerated that from anyone else because of what you just said, Denny. Is that. He came off his WWF thing and just has an amazing game and delivers. And in an early episode where he was off on his Vegas. You know, trip and comes back and again he he out practices the whole team he, he was just uh, he was just a complete enigma
0: that was his version of the zen buddhism thing you know what i mean we're like that's how we needed to focus or clear his mind or whatever the phrase you want to use but once he kind of like went to vegas with carmen electra he's like all right i'm good guys now like i can play like once he finished being rodzilla he's like i'm good guys i can play and I think that that's again like the, the genius of Phil Jackson. I don't know if they ever actually said it out loud, but I think him and Rodman did have that silent agreement or that silent contract where, like, look, I know you're gonna go rogue on me. That's fine, but when you when the when the game starts, I expect you 100. And like and like Danny was saying, to Rodman's credit, he delivered every time.
1: Jackson would have made a great filmmaker. I bet. Like a great film oh, for director, sure. Well.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's a great uh, point. Uh, that is, he, what he did was essentially what a great director does, right?
0: Yeah. But Phil Jackson, as a director, before we, everything wraps up, before you have the rap party, you got to have game six. You guys have any impressions or feelings or concerns or hopes and dreams after watching game six and that epic last shot?
2: So what do, where do you guys stand on the push-off?
0: He didn't push off.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> No.
0: The pizza was poisoned it, it, and he didn't push off.
2: Costas, I think,
1: had it, you know, said it best. It was just like a maitre d' showing a dude to his table. Showing
0: him out the door.
2: Bob Costas, uh, I just, I miss, I miss his uh, use of the language. Like, it, it's just so perfect. Uh, uh, such a perfect description uh, of what happened. Uh, and yeah, his, his momentum was already taking him that way.
0: Yeah.
2: A, a push off, he would have, his body would have reacted way differently.
1: Yeah, from one, from one angle, the push-off looks harsh, but then if you check out the other angles, it's just like, excuse me.
0: Yeah, Jordan had that line uh, before they even showed the push-off or the lack of a push-off where like, he said that uh, Biden Russell plays on his toes.
2: Yeah, that was amazing. That right. was amazing that he had that insight. That's the kind of stuff I just love is that he studied the shit out of that guy. And because then he was just, on the list. He was on the list, exactly. <laughs> he was on the list, so... He knew his – he marked his target, man, Uh, and it was fantastic. Well, you see that
0: later on too because, like he said, Karl Malone didn't um, keep an eye on the weak side, right? That's right. And so he was able to steal the ball at the end there. And Karl Malone's teammates, the Jazz teammates, usually yell out Jordan coming on the left or whatever. That's when you watch a game. You can hear them yelling out stuff like screen and stuff like that. There's codes and things that they yell out. His teammates let him down at that point. So – yeah. I was also weird, like that was a weird mental lapse. It was like two mistakes. I don't think people really caught that. Like the jazz players around them mentally lapsed because whoever was supposed to be guarding Jordan didn't really kind of like scream out, and then Jordan steal the ball and like taken off.
1: It did indi- indicate like a lot of flaws in, in their setup, especially I understand that they're trying to isolate Malone, but I guess maybe everybody was in a rush, and they're all just kind of all the other guys they were just one run to their spots. Mm-hmm and isolate Malone, but i'm surprised stockton who was feeding malone the ball he was just maybe he was rushing as well because he did he could have called out yo jordan's right behind you <laughs> like, or not or not do
2: the pass. yeah right? yeah
0: it's like a horror movie right like it's when you're watching it at home and you're like don't go into the basement but she can't hear you so she goes in the basement i'm like well that's what you get <laughs> J-
2: jason's around the corner <laughs> yeah um so one of the one of the things i did want to uh, touch on uh, these last two episodes is just the filmmaking itself. It, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the sound, amazing soundtrack uh, in this uh, series. And um, these final two episodes actually used very little needle drop music. It, it became much more, you know, traditional film score, which really helped with the, you know, the emotion and the, and the drama of, I guess, to help create this big finish. Uh, And, you know, it culminated for me in the, you know, those single piano notes as Jordan sitting on the bench and talking about how he just um, quieted his mind and um, and he he just get that long silence before they win the game. Uh, It was just a great piece of filmmaking. And the other thing was that they'd built up just how crazy that stadium was with the fans. And and you really got a sense of just how intense it was in there but then at the end when they can com- try to communicate just how shocked the fans were they cut the still th- images up until oh, now yeah. they're using just uh um, you, know, vi- you know video footage or film sort of the film footage and then it just stops with these amazing still images of those and this lets you soak in the t- sheer disappointment in their eyes. It was, just it was devastation,
0: great. not even disappointment.
2: Yes, devastation. I and mean, It was just, just great filmmaking. Um, and, then, and then we come out of it with the, I think it was a Pearl Jam track, right, Sam? Yeah, Present uh, Tense. And, and What is it called? It's called Present Tense, which is uh, you know, everything that we've been talking about. Uh, and uh, it was just a great, great finish.
1: Yeah, and even just,
2: even right, it
1: actually, the finish was great and even the, um, the intro to Game 6 was great. Because they were, there was that section where they were interviewing, or at least what the uh, assistant trainer for the Bulls was talking. His name was like Wally Blaze or Blast. I don't know how you pronounce that name. But then it's like, he's, they're still in the locker room, and Jordan's lying down. He's got his eyes closed. He's still got his like civilian clothes on. And then Wally's like, it's like watching one of those, those documentaries <laughs> where the, the lion's is hiding in the shade. Yeah might see a kill today (laughs) that's (laughs) That's crazy that's amazing (laughs) and then they they got it they got that kill
2: yeah no it was it, it was amazing and i just um i think they they did a really great job of just bringing this thing home and and that last game was was you know I mean, it was something else uh, with just, the, you know, it's one of those iconic images, uh, you know, that, that shot is just goes down in history in, uh, in terms of many iconic moments that he gave us throughout his career. Uh, but it was a great way to finish finish it off.
0: Rodman was great. He's like, I know he's not passing. There's no Kerr. There's no Paxson. <laughs> he's like... Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like...
2: go shoot this yeah. fucker. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Rodman like knew. And the way he was speaking, you could tell like... He cl- like, he was not lying. You know how sometimes you can't tell if people are being accurate or whatever? He's like, no, that's exactly the emotion that he's feeling at that moment. He's like, <laughs> all I got to do is maybe rebound this if he doesn't make it.
1: And and the, well, and the other conflict of that game was Pippen's back.
0: Yeah. Right? Right. He
1: mashed it up after, like, the first, I think it was the first play. Did that, his back was already mashed up. And he did that dunk. Mm-hmm. And he landed really weird on it. And so, you know, he couldn't really contribute that much to that game.
2: But again, it went back to that strategy, right? And Michael was saying like, okay, we just need you to come out and just be a decoy. And okay. uh, and if that's all you do, that's all we need. And, you know, we'll, the rest of us will pick up the, you know, the slack. But he, he was like, we cannot do this without you. So it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing to see into credit given credit that, you know, he did it, you know, and um I, I I imagine that was pretty pretty tough for for him and the team.
1: But well, yeah, and but but statistically speaking still too. Jordan scored 45, the rest of the team scored 42. <laughs> the rest The only of, other player double The
2: rest of the team.
1: <laughs> yeah, the only other player that had double figures was Tony Kukoc. He had like 15 mm-hmm. points. Wow. So, what a game. <laughs> Yeah, it was as close as a one man show you can get. Yeah.
0: These two episodes too, they mirror a number of key, like Nike commercials. Like there was the one where um Bob Costas is talking about Jordan fatigue and he's hitting the back of the rim. The Pacers game that he should have won, but it rimmed out. Like there's that commercial where Jordan's like walking to a game and it's slow motion and he's saying something to the effect, I have failed over and over again, I've taken this many shots at the end of games and they've all fallen out or rimmed out or whatever, but I keep hitting shots and I keep hitting. And even though I fail, that is why I succeed. Right. Yep. And you see it and you're like, yep. Okay. <laughs> That's accurate <to> advertising. <laughs> right. And then the other one that Jake <laughs> yep. was just saying, like in that slow motion, when he hit that shot um, and you see all the fan and everything like that, There was another one, too, where it was towards the end of Jordan's career where he was taking the shot and he was about to do a spin move and just the whole commercial went into slow motion. Yeah. And and it's just watching him just do this poetic ballet kind of thing, just going through the defenders and laying it up. And you can see how much the game is driving the advertising, not the other way around. Like, as it's happening, too, like, like Nike basically, these are all like storyboards for the commercials. Yeah. All Nike had to do was basically turn on the camera and just hit record like they were done. And that was the brilliance
1: of Nike, right? Like I I don't think we ever saw stuff like that before. It was always just like, you know, whoever your main star is, he looks to the camera and starts yapping about whatever the product is. I mean, Jordan's had his fair share of commercials like that, but uh, I think what what was the uh, the hot dogs that he was? Oh,
0: something something. So plump. They uh... they 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 plump (laughs) when you cook them. I can't remember. Yeah. (laughs) I can't name the name of the brand, but I remember they plump when you cook them.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Nike was
2: amazing storytelling in
1: thirty seconds. They were they were mythologizing
2: him, and that's that's what ultimately happened there, right? They they found a way to create yeah, the mythology, a to and uh, I think that was probably the first time that, that's ever happened, and now everyone does it. But Nike and, and Michael's collaboration was the first time you you saw something like that.
0: And I I want to point out too, like. Kerr said a really good point when he said, uh, they were talking about that one time out, and then Kerr's like being all goofy, he's like, yo, just pass me the ball, I'll shoot it, I I can get it, whatever. But Kerr, before he says that goofy line, he said he realized that Jordan knew that the camera was always on him. So it's like Jordan, yeah. like, I sh- I'm sure for the year of um this whole year of just having the cameras follow the bulls around. It didn't phase Jordan cuz he was already kind of used to it. I'm sure partly that's why he signed off on it. He's like, "Eh, whatever. It's just another camera. It's not like cameras just following me around for the first time." But I think because he he had the cameras on him, he learned eventually to think cinematically. You guys were talking about how like Phil Jackson would be a good like film director. Jordan I think learned how to think cinematically. Um and you see those moments and stuff, and that's why the Nike stuff works so well. And why at the end of game six, when he let that, uh, like, that wrist just hang there for that extra beat. We're like, of course, you know, man, like.
2: Showmanship.
0: Yeah. He was joking around afterwards and the piano is like, I had to push it with those two fingers, whatever, because I was, like, falling short. I'm like, whatever, son. You knew it. I know it. Like, you knew that the cameras are on you and you just wanted to let it hang and just let everybody know I'm the GOAT. Well, that's one of those
1: rare situations where. I don't know how to put this, but it's like. No, there's nothing more poetic than the truth
0: yeah
1: right i mean it was true that he was he was tired as hell because he had to carry the team that game and he was his shots were going short but at the same time it was just the right moment and yeah i'm sure he would, like you said he was aware of it too
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it but he needed to do that also so it's just like that's that's the truth yeah like that's just like they call Paul Pierce the truth. No, that's the truth.
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Right? Yeah. But he did it throughout his entire career, though. Like, the yeah. the shot against Georgetown, starting from there, like, starting from there against in the in March Madness, like just poetic moments after poetic moments, like just truths. And like, you you look at that the the Lakers ninety one shot where he switches hands mid air. You're like. Yeah. It's just there's no argument, there's no rebuttal for that. You're like, yep, <laughs> that's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's like, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then they win. That's it. Mm-hmm. Six.
1: Jor- Jordan flashes the six fingers. Rodman gives you the buff and yeah, right. kind of a gesture to the
2: <laughs> and then that was accurate yeah, an too.
0: That was also Rodman's truth.
2: That's true. Yeah. Right <laughs> uh, And then, of course, the, the line that we talked about earlier is uh, "they they can't win till we quit," and mm-hmm. uh, that was it. That was uh, yeah. that was one for the ages.
1: And there, here, there's another lesson for this generation. Those guys are popping champagne, no goggles.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah, the sweet sting of victory that's guy right. just taking just the eye.
2: In- yeah. That's so true.
0: I really like the footage where they follow Jordan back to the hotel room when he's in the piano and hanging out with all the boys, and mm-hmm. like you never really mm-hmm. see that stuff. And I don't why I don't know why NBC or ABC now doesn't show that stuff. At least show a little bit, like you know. I, uh, partially uh, I think it's
2: access, I think it's the uh, it's the players more than anything. And that sea of
1: people in the lobby, in the hotel, man, that was like crazy. Dude, that would not happen today. No. They wouldn't let people in the hotel like that.
0: But I also like the old school NBA games when they would win and they just mobbed the court. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like when the Celtics and stuff. And bo- Boston the Boston court. Garden. Yeah, yeah, man. That looks so fun. I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that.
2: But, you know, but that that's the kind of thing that adds to the mythology of it, right? Like, that's the kind of stuff that adds to the cultural impact. You know, a lot of times now everything's become so corporate and safe and, you know, everything has to be done within the lines. It kind of takes some of that, you know, some of that away um, from the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's there's an argument for both sides too, right? Because, like, even for 98, that's a little unsafe <laughs> because... Any one of those guys could have just like knifed Jordan and
0: yeah, neck. <laughs> especially after they poisoned his pizza. Oh.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> Mormon yeah, mom, that's another documentary.
2: And Mitt Romney was just uh,
0: <laughs> the bad fellas,
2: <laughs> the bad fellas.
0: Yeah, you feel that like the way that this whole thing was set up by calling it the last dance by Krause saying if Phil Jackson goes 82 and 0 he's not coming back they basically set them up for success in a weird sort of way and jordan alluded to that a little bit if all that stuff hadn't happened if there was if there was all these doubts of like whether they would resign them or not uh, and it wasn't called the last dance and all this kind of stuff do you think they would have still had the hunger of success or do you think uh, they needed this push and this knowing that this this was a good way to close it out
2: uh, you know i think despite what Jordan might say about like, you know, we could have gone for another one. I think there's something to what you're saying Sam because Those were some tough series that they It was hard fought. Yeah. Right? it wasn't an easy road and I think if they didn't have that extra bit of fire uh, That sort of thing they had to prove to the world or to the organization They may not have gone through, uh, you, know, you know, those those tough tough games
1: yeah, it's, um, it's hard to say. I mean, even without Krauss saying that, those guys know they were getting up there. And knowing that the tension of even just Scottie's uh, contract mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know, like uh, Jackie McMullen, who's like a really well-known uh, NBA writer, she said, give me Jordan, give me Pippen, give me Rodman, Phil Jackson. I'm never betting against them. Yeah. So... I mean, on the one hand, I don't know if they needed the extra push, but that's the storyline, and it worked. So maybe Krause was like the Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> of this whole of this whole film. You know what I mean? It's like fucked with everybody's heads, and he got the film he's that he He's the wanted. director.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. You made uh, Krause the the uh, Francis Ford Coppola. You didn't make him Roger Corman. <laughs>
2: yeah, he's he, he's more Louis B. Mayer. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a
0: good one. Yeah.
1: I think uh, the first thing I thought of Coppola is because I mean, there's a lot of stories about Coppola just kind of saying whatever he needed to say to actors to make them feel a certain way. And the last thing I remember most vividly was when he did Dracula and he had a lot of the actors kind of walk around Winona Ryder and just like cussing her out, <laughs> calling her a bitch, <laughs> just to make her feel bad for the next scene that they're going to shoot or something. <laughs>
0: Should we wrap it up then? Should we say goodbye to the last dance and talk about the coffee can scene?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, that moment uh, was just not only poetic for the the men who were there in the moment, but just for the documentary itself. It was such a great way to bring this all together. And it, Phil Jackson talked, talks about how his wife it was a social worker and that she would perform this ceremony where you would write down your greatest fears and then put them in a tin can and then burn them. And so we had the team do this and, um, and it was very emotional. So, but they wrote down what the team, meant right? Except, them. yeah. If in this situation that, you know, Phil asked them to write down what the team meant to them. And, uh, you know, and Michael comes and he, he actually writes a poem that was apparently very touching and moving in which I, uh, we will no one will ever know what that poem was except the men that were there. And uh, that to me was beautiful. It's the Pulp Fiction suitcase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's it's that glowing suitcase. We'll never know what was in that burning tin can. And what's amazing is that it it basically shows what a bond these men had. It, it ultimately, you know, made their experience something that no one else could ever really repeat. And uh, it was just the most poetic way to, to end the series. And then the filmmakers come back to where we started with Jordan at the window, smoking that long cigar. And he uh, gets up and he's uh, he, he walks off screen like just like you know like some old cowboy walking <laughs> out into the sunset. It was just a beautiful moment.
1: And not only goes back to the beginning in that way, he also goes back to beginning. To the intro of Jordan, kid fresh out of North Carolina talking about how he's hoping that he can just help create a team that's respected like the Lakers, the Celtics, the Sixers. And, but with that, and Jordan had a really great moment. Sam, what was he saying about hope? It started
0: with hope. It started with hope.
1: Yeah. And then he said all it needed, it started with hope, and he said it twice, and then he said all I needed was one little match to light that fire and that was that was really great going on visually with the, the whole coffee can
0: not even yeah. just the coffee can the cigars too right like the fact that he said it started like it just started with one match when you see the first couple of episodes of like young jordan when he still has hair and he's winning dunk contests and stuff there isn't any cigars or uh, cigars at all but it's just when he starts winning the championships and when he becomes this kind of like elder statesman and he starts becoming this goat, the cigars become more and more prominent. Right. And it's like that's the idea with the cigar is you start with one match and you light it up properly. You light it up slowly. Like a cigar is not something you rush through. It's not like a dinner or something like when you're rushing through or whatever. You do it slowly and it burns and it's fire and it's hot and it's amazing. So I thought that was really cool too. Just the whole full circle back to cigars and success.
2: And we have uh, one final epic montage that uh, which they the series did a lot of great montages, but they do one final epic one of all of Jordan's great moments, and um, it uh, it was just uh, you know you always hope when you're watching something that you've committed to that's this long. That ultimately, that the f- filmmakers are going to be able to stick the landing, and uh, and so everything was culminating to these last final minutes, and uh, I feel like they just they, they nailed it, and it was just a a beautiful way to, you know, ultimately, you know, say the what probably is going to be the final word on the on the myth of Michael Jordan.
0: Yeah. It's rare, too, that Jordan gets an opportunity. I know nobody talks about the wizard years. I don't talk about the wizard years either. We always eliminate and overlook the wizard's years. But just... That's not what this documentary is about. Yeah.
1: right. It's about the bulls' run. Yeah.
0: And so I think that's what, like... The fact that you get to cap it off with that final shot in Utah and then, like you said, Denny, that final scene where he's like, young Jordan's like, I want this organization to be respected. Like... You don't ever get to end this way. Kobe did a lot for the Lakers. But he played a regular, meaningless season game. Everyone let him score 60 or 60-something points. And then he went home. Like, you know what I mean? You don't get to go out on top. And we're seeing this now. Like, Tom Brady's left New England Patriots and he signed with Tampa Bay. I'm like, I don't know... I don't want to bet against them, but at the same time, I'm like, I just don't know if you're going to be able to get back in the Super Bowl and just leave that one like wrist like, in the air after like a good spiral and you win or something like that. I don't know if you get to go out like that. And that was a rare gift. It was
2: the ultimate leaving on while you're on top moment, which
1: was partially facilitated by not only Jerry Krause, but Phil Jackson. Because towards the end of the doctor, it, it was revealed that Reinstorf gave Phil another chance to come back. And Phil was just it's time to go. Yeah. The way he said yeah. that, man, it was like <laughs> that was like wonder years for me, man. <laughs> when you find out like Wendy and Kevin didn't like end up yeah. together, it's like, oh yeah, shit.
0: Yeah.
1: Truth hurts, yeah, man. Yeah, I
0: know. I'm putting that in the coffee can.
1: Um, but yeah, Brady's story—you know—it remains to be seen, right? But I, I and I think, I think it's the—it's that thing that most great people have, right? Like people who are maybe natural showmans, but in the end, they do it their way, man. Yeah. And they don't give a fuck what you think. It's like Frank Sinatra, you know. It's just like I'm just doing what I want to do. Uh, and it just so happens that whatever they do, people just love it. They go ape shit over it. And for Jordan, like going back to the Wizards, if we're going to talk about that, it's sort of like he didn't do it for us; yeah. he did it for himself, and we just loved it.
0: Kinda. Anything else, or no? I think uh, I think we covered it. So, so yes, we will do one final epilogue to record uh following this episode of just last minute or last lingering thoughts and feelings and emotions and um is there any other recommendations that you guys have i know jig you mentioned a couple already but is there any other recommendations or anything related to this i do want to add that um the jalen rose made a a couple of appearances in episode nine and he had to actually work with the director, Jason Hare, before on the Fab Five documentary. That's an ESPN <laughs> film. It's not a 30 for 30. Uh, but if you want to watch that. And then Jason Hare also did the 85 Bears. And that's another thing, too, like as we kind of wrap up uh, talking about Jordan and the Bulls. Chicago at that time w- was an NFL town when he 100%. came in. 100 yeah. Right? So... Um, the 85 Bears were one of the best teams that they had, and they won a championship and all kinds of stuff. So they were coming up just as uh, Jordan was coming in. So it's an time, and I think it's kind of fascinating that Jordan- Jason Hare, the director, did 85 Bears and The Last Dance, these two prominent Chicago stories. So I hope somebody asks him or I hope down the line he does, like, a third one just as a trilogy. I don't know who or what it would be. It's got to be the Cubs, Cubs, man. there you go. I think took them
1: <laughs> – like how many how many years was it over hundred yeah it was
0: hundred and twenty or something ridiculous, yeah, yeah. Crazy. so that would be interesting, so those are my recommendations. Do you have anything, Denny?
1: you know what I would recommend, and I don't know I can't remember if I've said this before, but I recommend to those who have never watched Jordan play go on YouTube. there's tons of games from the nineties now up on YouTube, full games, pretty decent quality for v h s and just like. Don't just let the documentary be the only thing that teaches you. Just like watch the games, watch him play. And that's the truth.
2: That's fantastic. And um, my uh, recommendation will be um, a little tiny book that Jordan published years ago. Um, And it's it's a little uh, book I think I must have picked up in an airport or something, but it's called uh, I Can't Accept Not Trying. Michael Jordan on the pursuit of excellence, and it's in his own words. And it's um, basically his philosophy on what it takes to be great. And I'll read some of the sort of the chapter headings. It's a tiny, tiny book. You could finish it in probably you know 20 minutes if, if you're reading slow, slowly. But uh, chapter one is about goals. Chapter two is about fears. Chapter three is about commitment. Chapter four is about teamwork. Chapter five is about fundamentals. And then finally, uh, leadership. And it's a fantastic little sort of inspirational book and an insight into uh, Michael's uh, mindset. And uh, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon.
0: All right. I will shut it down. I'm going to give us our uh, rap quote uh, for this episode. It's from Pete Rock. Don't be mad. Don't be mad because you can't do what I can. Like when Jordan went up, took that shot, and switched hands. Heat rock. Awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> what a great
2: run to end on.
0: So this has been episode five of Jordan Ain't No Joke. I am Sam Unin,
2: And I'm JT. And I'm DC.
0: Thanks for listening, people.